The North American Air Defense Command, known as NORAD, was established in 1958. It was to provide early warning and defense against Soviet bombers and missile launches. But it wasn't long before NORAD would be monitoring skies around the entire planet. Early in the morning on January 13, 1996, NORAD contacted Brazilian Air Defense to report an object entering the Earth's atmosphere about 200 miles northeast of Sao Paulo. When asked what type of object, NORAD said it was unidentified. A few minutes later, it crashed somewhere near the town of Virginia. The Brazilian Army and Air Force quickly scrambled to get to the crash site before any civilians did, but they were too late. The craft was seen and the beings driving the craft were gone. Over the next few days, a series of events would unfold that would change the lives of the people in the area forever. Well, at least the lives of the people who survived. Virginia is oh, located. What? I'm looking at that word in the teleprompter, and uh, oh, I see. <laughs> I, I thought it said. It doesn't. Right, right. Okay, so the town is Virginia. Go on. Virginia. Fine, whatever. Just do me a favor. Put the name of the town in the thumbnail, all right? It'll definitely get clicks. It probably would. Like, uh, how about strange object enters vagina? Virginia. Oh, 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 or the mysterious vagina. Virginia. You're pretty mysterious. Okay, okay, okay. Go ahead, go ahead. I'll behave. Virginia is in the southern region of the Brazilian state of Minas Gerais. Its population of about 135,000 makes it one of the largest cities in the region. Its economy is mostly based on agriculture. Coffee, corn, and soybeans are the main crops grown on the many farms that surround the city. One of those farms is owned by Eurico and Oralina de Freitas. It was early in the morning before sunrise when Oralina heard the cows running around the property sounding agitated. She looked out the window and saw hovering above the pasture a cigar-shaped object. She grabbed her husband, Eureka. They said the shape of it reminded them of a submarine and it was about the size of a school minibus. The object was billowing white smoke and seemed to have trouble maneuvering. The two watched the craft for an hour before it disappeared over a ridge not far from the farm. On the other side of that ridge, Carlos de Souza was driving to the airport when he heard a strange muffled rumbling. He thought something was wrong with his truck, so he stopped. Then he realized the sound was coming from a cigar-shaped craft about 300 feet in the air, and it was losing altitude. The object had windows along the side and what appeared to be a long crack running through the middle of it. Out of the crack, white smoke was pouring out. Carlos thought this was strange because the smoke from a fire or an engine failure would be black. The rumbling sound made by the craft occasionally sputtered. It was clearly struggling to stay in the air. Carlos jumped back in his truck and followed it. It eventually passed over some small mountains, went into a steep dive and disappeared. After a few minutes, Carlos found a dirt road that led to the area where it went down. He came over the crest of a hill and saw wreckage spread out over a wide area. Carlos began running to the crash site, which was a few hundred feet from the road. At first he thought it was a small plane. He was a pilot himself, so if there was a crash, he wanted to help. But it only took him a few steps to realize this was no plane. In the air was a heavy stench of ammonia and sulfur, like sour rotten eggs. The odor was so strong that he had to wrap his shirt around his mouth to breathe. And even then, the smell stung his eyes and made them water. Debris was everywhere. Pieces of metal that looked like aluminum, but even lighter. Carlos grabbed a large sheet that had almost no weight to it. It looked like aluminum foil. He crumpled the sheet and dropped it. 
As soon as he released it, the metal unfolded and went back into its original shape, and then floated to the ground like a feather. Carlos started making his way toward the larger pieces of debris to search for survivors. But before he could take more than a few steps, the rumbling of trucks caught his attention. A convoy of military vehicles tore across the field and began establishing a perimeter. Soldiers with guns raised shouted for Carlos to get away. Carlos briefly protested, but only briefly. He was staring down the barrel of a rifle not six inches from his face when he raised his hands and slowly backed away. Shaken, Carlos left the scene and stopped to grab a cup of coffee to try and collect himself. After a few minutes, two men approached. Carlos described them as tall and neatly dressed in dark suits. Men in black. Yep. The men told Carlos that they know who he is and where he lives. They know his wife, his daughter. They told him that he's to forget everything that he saw and never speak of it. Carlos was terrified. He nodded that he understood. Then the strangers got into a black car with no license plates and drove away. And Carlos would keep what he saw a secret for 26 years. Meanwhile, back at the crash site, the Brazilian military was hard at work gathering the wreckage. The craft was definitely big enough to hold a small crew. So the order went out to search for survivors. There were survivors, but the soldiers wouldn't find them, at least not near the crash. Those survivors were already in town. Just a few hours after the crash, authorities started receiving strange reports from residents in the area. At about 8 a.m., a college student reported seeing a creature with oily, dark brown skin crouched in an alleyway near a local park. He said it had very small hands with three long fingers. It was between four and five feet tall and had no hair or clothing. Yeah, you notice aliens are always naked. I guess that's true. Respect. What? Yeah, I don't know how you humans deal with pants. I'd like to let it all hang out. Okay, that's enough. Rude. Just a few blocks away, three young women, Lillianne, Valkyria, and Katya, were on their way to the same park. They took a shortcut through a vacant lot. There, in the tall grass, huddled next to a cinder block wall, was... a creature. It was about four feet tall and had a large head. On its head were three bumps or ridges. It had huge red eyes. Its skin was brown and looked shiny or oily. It had a slim, frail body and no hair and no clothes. Respect. The girls weren't sure what this thing was, but when they approached, it looked right at them. The girls were frozen in fear, unable to move or speak. Though it made no sound, the girls were able to hear this being or feel its thoughts. They could feel that it was frightened, in pain, and needed help. The girls tore out of there, terrified. They burst into Katya's house and told her mother that they had seen a demon. The four of them returned to the lot, but the creature was gone. However, Katya's mother found a strange footprint. It wasn't a human footprint. Whatever this thing was, its feet had three long toes. The girls described the creature to an artist who created this now famous picture. Even though the creature was gone, there was a heavy odor of ammonia that lingered. Katya's mother said she couldn't get the smell out of her nose for days. A few hours later, military policemen Eric Lopes and Marco Cherez were patrolling the area. Suddenly, a small humanoid creature with dark skin darted across the street. Margot jumped out of the car and managed to grab it. They restrained the creature and rushed it to the hospital where, according to reports, it died. Almost immediately, Marco started feeling ill. He said his skin felt greasy, even though it wasn't. And there was a lingering smell of ammonia that stayed with him. Over the next two weeks, his condition worsened and he was admitted to the hospital and placed in intensive care. None of the doctors could figure out what was wrong with him or how to help. Finally, at the age of 23, Marco Cherez died of an unknown cause. 
The doctors said an autopsy wasn't necessary and ordered a closed casket service. They also had his body buried immediately. They said this was to protect public health. They did make his blood tests available. His blood contained 8% of unknown toxic substances. And that was the first death caused by the Virginia UFO incident. But it wasn't the last. Several calls came into the fire department about a wild animal on the loose near the park where the girls saw the creature. Four firemen were dispatched to look for it. When the firemen arrived on the scene, there were five civilians watching the creature that had gone down a steep embankment toward a densely wooded area. They said it made a buzzing sound similar to bees. It took the firemen two hours to capture it. It kept running away and the terrain was hard to navigate. And they were afraid of whatever this thing was. Everyone who saw it said it gave off a strong offensive odor like ammonia and sulfur. Finally, the firemen were able to snare the creature in a net. By now, a military truck arrived from Eza, a military base a few miles away. Witnesses saw soldiers struggling with two black bags. One bag was squirming as if something was alive in it, but the other bag was still. The bags were heaved into the truck and it sped away. Immediately, the area was surrounded by military vehicles and civilians were not allowed in or out of the area. Less than an hour later, a section of regional hospital was ordered locked down. Then 10 military and police vehicles arrived. The truck then pulled up close to the entrance and two soldiers unloaded a black body bag. The bag was taken to the radiology department for x-rays. The x-ray technician on duty that day said the examination room was full of doctors, police, and military personnel. People were nervous and just staring at each other, afraid to speak. The tech was ordered to take x-rays of the bag, which he wasn't allowed to open. He did this, but then the military took the film. The radiologist never saw the pictures. He said he'd never experienced anything like that before or since. He was told to keep everything he's seen a secret as a matter of national security. Then, as quickly as they arrived, the military entourage left with the x-rays and the body bag. But the smell of ammonia and sulfur remained. The tech said the smell felt like it was inside his nose and lingered. In fact, that whole section of the hospital was closed to the public for another three or four days. No matter what the cleaning staff did, they couldn't remove the smell. They just had to wait for it to dissipate. By the way, one of the firemen who helped capture the alien died a few weeks later from unknown toxic poisoning. Senior military officials warned everyone involved. 50 doctors and hospital staff were put under strict non-disclosure agreements and told this was a training exercise. The doctors and nurses were threatened with prison if they ever spoke about what happened. Soldiers were reminded of their responsibilities to national security, and that if they spoke about what happened, it could be considered treason. These tactics worked, because after the military convoy sped away from the hospital, there wouldn't be any new details about the story. Where the truck went, what was in it, who was involved, nothing. But 25 years later, a witness would come forward, and he would reveal details that nobody saw coming. It took 25 years, but a soldier came forward who was close to everything. His testimony can be seen in the excellent documentary on this case, Moment of Contact, by filmmaker James Fox. And if you want to learn more about this story, I recommend you check it out, and there's a link below. The soldier who came forward refused to allow his name to be used, so he became known as Military X. But I found a very old report from Virginia local news which revealed his name. Now, I don't want to out the guy, so we'll just call him Raul, which is close to his real first name. Raul was part of the convoy that brought the creature to the hospital, and there he saw the alien in a box. 
It was covered, but it was between four and five feet tall. He was able to see its foot poking out. He said its skin was very dark red or brown and looked oily. He knew this wasn't human because its foot had only three toes. From the hospital, they went to the Eza military base about 20 miles from Virginia. After they parked the trucks, Raul and another soldier were called into the base commander's office. Their CO asked them what they saw. Raul was frightened and not sure how to answer. He said he thought he saw a burnt man or something like that. His commanding officer told him, that's not what you saw. You saw something supernatural. Raul was told that if he reveals what he saw to anyone, the consequences would be severe. The following day was very strange at the base. There were Navy trucks and helicopters there, which was unusual. There was a lot of activity, a lot of unfamiliar faces. People were on edge. Early that morning, Raul and the convoy left Eza and went to a Spesex army base in Campinas about two hours away. <laughs> what? They went from vagina to the penis. Virginia Campinas. Tomato, tomato, Virginia, vagina. The algorithm is going to punish you for this one. Well, they are now. From Campinas, Raul didn't know what happened to the creature, though he had heard rumors. Rumors that would turn out to be true. Jose Manuel Fernandez was an air traffic controller at the base during this time. He said two helicopters left the base, went to Virginia, and returned. With what he didn't know, but he thought it was some kind of rescue mission. Then something happened that Jose had never experienced. A large plane was coming in, but it didn't have authorization to land. Jose's supervisors told him to allow it anyway. The plane landed and boxes were loaded onto it. Then it took off again and that was it. The trucks, the helicopters, and all the extra people just left. Jose asked what this was all about and he was told it was a secret mission and that was all he needed to know. But Jose does remember what kind of plane landed. He called it a Yusuf plane. A Yusuf? What kind of a plane is a Yusuf? Well, that's what Brazilians call it. Yusuf, or USAF. That's a... The United States Air Force. One of the facts that's agreed on by the witnesses from the military is that the United States immediately took over the operation, whatever the operation was. Even though the American plane came and went very quickly, there were a few Americans who stayed behind. A few months after the events, Katya's mother, Donna Luisa, heard a knock on the door. She opened it, and four men shoved their way in. She described them as foreigners, neatly dressed in dark suits and pushy. One held a clipboard, the other carried a briefcase. They told her that they were there to make a proposal. She could take all the money in the briefcase, which was tens of thousands of dollars in cash. In return, she convinces the girls to retract their story and admit they made the whole thing up. Then they leave the country and never speak of these things again. She refused. They insisted that she take the money and be silent. Donna Luisa said, the girls did see something out there and she wouldn't have them portrayed as liars. Again, the men insisted. As they continued to press the issue, they became very frustrated and Donna Luisa started to become frightened. She told the men to leave her house or she would call the police. Finally, and very suddenly, they left. Another well-respected family just a few blocks away reported seeing an object in the sky on the evening the aliens were captured. They said the object was the size of a bus, circular and metallic. It hovered just a few hundred feet above their house. And though it was rotating very quickly, the object was completely silent. They said it was traveling slowly back and forth like it was looking for something. After they made their report, two men paid them a visit. They asked a lot of questions and talked to the family for hours. And just before the strangers left, they said, what you saw didn't happen. 
and this conversation never happened. They implied that if they spoke publicly, it would be very bad for the family. And to this day, the family insists that this entire story happened, but they refuse to give their names. A key to this entire story is Eric Lopes. He was the partner of Marco Cherez, the young military policeman who died after touching the alien. Lopes is one of the only people alive who can confirm the story. He was there when the alien was captured. It was in his car when they drove it to the hospital and he helped carry it in. For 25 years, he's refused to speak about the incident. When James Fox and his crew showed up at his house to ask him about what happened, he was so agitated, he threatened to shoot them if they didn't leave him alone. The Virginia UFO incident has been called the Brazilian Roswell. It's considered to be the most compelling case for UFOs and aliens in history. Or is it? The Virginia UFO incident became a world-famous case in 1996, and with the documentary Moment of Contact being released, it's once again on people's minds. But how much of the story is true? Well, this is a difficult case to prove and disprove. The fact is, there's not a single piece of physical evidence to support that any of this happened. The entire story is based on witness testimony, testimony that over the years has been less than consistent. You'll hear some documentaries say that the witnesses have no reason to lie because they haven't made any money for their story. That's not true. Quite a few witnesses have been compensated over the years. In fact, the Wall Street Journal reported that the girls who found the creature wouldn't give an interview for anything less than $200, something they later denied. About those girls, it's important to know that there was no Virginia UFO incident before the girl's story was made public. It was only after they were covered on a popular TV program that other witnesses came forward. And those witnesses described the aliens the same way the girls did. So the new witnesses either saw the same alien or they were lying and building on other stories they heard. There's no way to know for sure. But when the girls reported the creature, they never said it was an alien. There was no mention of a UFO. They thought the creature looked like a demon. At the time all this was happening, people in the area were obsessed with a cryptid called Chupacabra, which was getting a lot of coverage. It was a local UFO researcher who proposed that what they saw was an alien. The official explanation is that the girls actually saw someone locals called Mudinho. Mudinho means little mute. His real name is Luis Antonio de Paula. He was a mentally and physically disabled man who would spend hours crouching and looking at small objects on the ground. He lived where the girls saw the alien. In fact, he still lives there. He doesn't live near the location. He lives at the location. The day they saw him, there was a major storm passing through the area. So much rain fell that some parts of the town were flooded. It could be that Mudinho was covered in mud, which was known to happen, and he scared the girls. Now, the girls say that it couldn't have been Mudinho because they know him and wouldn't mistake him for an alien. But in the original report, they said they didn't know him. And when they first saw him, they thought he looked like a demon. They said the same thing about the alien. They may or may not be lying intentionally, but one of their versions of the story is wrong. And this isn't surprising. It's a 26-year-old case. Witness reports are all over the place. This was a huge story in 1996. It made international news. People's memories change over time. If you read an interesting detail about this case, you may, even unknowingly, add that detail to your version of the story. Tell that story enough times, your brain will actually create a false memory to support it. When Katya's mother first told the story about the men trying to bribe her to get her daughters to retract their story, she said they implied there would be a payment. Later, the story included a briefcase full of cash. Now, did she forget this detail early on? 
Or had she been hearing stories about the men in black for so long that the briefcase found its way into her memory? Side note, the weather conditions make it unlikely that anyone saw an alien footprint in the mud. But who knows? Stories vary. Some witnesses gave statements that they later denied. Others denied seeing anything, but then later came forward. And other witness reports don't fit the timeline at all. The couple who first saw the UFO over their farm, they said it happened a week earlier. It's possible they aren't remembering correctly, but if I saw a UFO hovering over my house for an hour, I'd remember every detail about that day. Memories are stored with emotion. The more emotional the event, the more likely you are to recall it. People who lived through the JFK assassination or the 9-11 attack know exactly where they were when they heard the news. People vividly remember the days their children are born and vividly remember when their parents died. Emotions create memories. Now about Marco Cherez, the young officer who died after touching the alien. It's said that he was perfectly healthy and suddenly became ill. That's not true. He had a cyst on his arm that became infected. The cyst was documented well before any of this happened. Marco wasn't connected to the UFO story until much later, and his sister was the first person to bring it up. Now, she says it happened and that's that, but her earlier story said it was possible he was involved, though she didn't know for sure. The Brazilian military released a report of these events that was over a thousand pages long. According to the report, Marco wasn't even working that night. The report also says all the military vehicles in the area were part of a training exercise, as a base was a training base. The military convoys were just vehicles all going in for scheduled maintenance at the same time, which they do. After all, the base is just a few miles away. The hospital wing was closed, but that was because they had to make it sterile enough for new cardiac equipment that was being delivered. By the way, that equipment was delivered in stainless steel boxes by the military. The body bag was a recently exhumed cadaver that was part of a police investigation. What people thought were aliens at the hospital were actually a dwarf couple there to have a baby, and they were helped in by a soldier. Now, some of those facts sound perfectly reasonable to me. Others, like the pregnant dwarf, not so much. But that's part of the story. It's all a cover-up. The military altered the records after the fact. They even gave a very sketchy press conference about this. Is General Lima covering up? He acts like it. But if there really wasn't anything weird about this incident, the general would be pretty irritated that he'd have to deal with any of this. So how you read him and any of the witnesses really comes down to your point of view and toward which side you lean, skeptic or believer. If you watch James Fox's moment of contact, some of the witnesses are compelling. In the case of Marco de Souza, the man who found the craft in the field, he's so overcome that he breaks down into tears. Here. 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 Eles morreram aqui. 
Now, if he's acting, he should leave Brazil and move to Hollywood. Fox gets statements, not just from local residents, but from doctors and people in the military. They all say it happened. And they give vivid details about what they saw. Yes, some people won't talk. Others talk, but with their faces blurred and voices changed. But some people put their names and faces out there for everyone to see. Now, it's been so long that these people could be misremembering, but they don't come across as liars. But there's no way to tell if what they're saying is true. There is one man who could settle this entire case once and for all, Eric Lopes. He was driving the car when Marco Cherez captured the alien. He saw everything. But he's willing to shoot people who want to talk to him about this. Is he afraid? Or is he an old, angry man living in poverty who's sick of people bothering him about this? If he came forward to confirm that Marco did capture an alien, then the entire official story unravels, and you could throw away that thousand-page army report, and you can start rewriting history. Because Eric Lopes is one of the few people on the face of the planet who could confirm 100% without a doubt that aliens are real and they are here. For now, the Brazilian military and government deny everything. And if the Brazilian government is working with the United States on a cover-up, well, they're learning from the best. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. My name is AJ. That's Cyclefish. This has been the Waff House. If you had fun or learned anything, do us a favor, like, comment, subscribe, share. That stuff really helps the channel. And like most topics we cover here, today's was recommended by you. So if there's a story you'd like to see or learn more about, go to thewifiles.com slash tips. And special thanks to our patrons who make all this possible. Without our Patreon members, there would be no Wi-Files. So I thank you guys with all my heart. If you'd like to join a great community, check out the Wi-Files Discord. It's free. But if you'd like to support the channel, consider becoming a member on Patreon. You can support for as little as $3 a month or grab something from the Wi-Files store. Our t-shirts are guaranteed not to infect you with a toxic alien poison. Is that true? Uh, well, I can't guarantee it, but, but they're most likely safe. I can live with that. That's going to do it. Until next time, be safe, be kind, and know that you are appreciated.